Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to the weekend edition of the Football Social Daily. And let's face it, whether you love it or hate it, the international break is the big, big story across the last 48 hours because the all-important World Cup qualification campaign is finally hotting up. And the good news, let's face it, if you're not a fan of international football, the little bit of a positive is that this is the final break of international football in 2021. So if you get the grumps when it comes to international football after this week, it is all over until March. But on the flip side, if you are a lover of the international window, then you are at the business end of qualification because a place in Qatar, yes, Christmas in Qatar, which still sounds a little bit strange, is up for grabs. And England, led by Gareth Southgate, find themselves right on the brink of securing their place at the tournament. In part one, we'll be looking at the latest situation with Southgate and his players as they now need just one more point to secure an automatic place. It's the two Harrys, Maguire and Kane, who find themselves at the front of the action and we'll be delving into both of their situations for club and, most importantly this week, for country and then in part two we'll be returning to the day job that is premier league football dean smith i don't know if you remember him but he's odds on to take charge of rock bottom norwich city despite as you'll remember only being sacked by aston villa a week ago how things quickly can change alongside that liverpool star allison has claimed the reds are going all out in 2022 as they want to secure a quadruple at Anfield. And finally, to wrap it up, Maurizio Pochettino has sent Manchester United fans into overthink after he admitted that he wants to return to the Premier League. Right then, my name's Fergal Brennan and joining me on tonight's podcast, we have sports social regular and podcast kingpin with the champ, 
Ant McGinley. The international window, Ant, are you a fan? Are you a fan of international football? I actually really like it because I really enjoy seeing little teams going up against these uh, big players, uh, all these international stars and getting a thumping. There's something in me, I don't know if I've got a problem there, but I quite enjoy a good thumping because uh, we don't get that often enough in the Premier League for my liking. Fair enough. A little touch of uh, sadomasochism on a Sunday night from uh, from Ant. <laughs> and international football, we all know, is about high-profile squad call-ups. And in the spirit of squad call-ups, we've got ourselves a new face on Sunday night. A Sunday night debut for Newcastle fan, football coach and freelance broadcaster Isha Acton. Isha, how's things? Very good, thanks. It's really good to be on. Thanks for having me. Great stuff indeed. Wonderful. Right, so we're going to get stuck straight into this. Obviously, international football, and you know, we're joking about it in the intro, it can be a bit of a divisive subject. Generally speaking, fans are kind of grit their teeth and, and just get through it. And some fans do enjoy it, but, but by and large, it tends to kind of split fans right down the middle. So this is the final window of 2021, but it really means something. Often with international football, the big criticism is that there's nothing riding on it. This time round, that is definitely not the situation. So England, we're just going to take a look at the situation regarding them before we ask you a few questions about uh, Southgate and his men and, and what's been going on. As it stands, England need just a point against San Marino in midweek to get themselves on the plane to Qatar. Now, we probably think that's not going to happen. There's not going to be any last-minute bumps in the road. Um, and as it stands, it would take a six-goal swing against England and they would have to lose to San Marino to completely cock it up. So we're going with this idea that England are home and hosed. And midweek on Friday night, the game against Albania, 5-0 win at home at Wembley seems to have kind of set the standard. So instead of talking about the results and exactly where England stands, because we're fairly confident that the box has been ticked, I want to talk about some of the talking points from the game against Albania at Wembley. 5-0 on the night, nice and easy, nice and straightforward for Southgate and the players. But the two Harrys that I mentioned in the intro were the two big focuses. Harry Maguire and has not had a good season for Manchester United. Looking at some of his numbers for United, just two Premier League clean sheets for United with him at the heart of the defence. He's Manchester United captain, he's a key player for England, gets himself a goal against Albania and he does the fingers in the ears celebration, no time for the haters, silencing the doubters and naturally Twitter, Roy Keane and lots and lots of Manchester United fans have gone into meltdown. Now, Harry Maguire doesn't mean to antagonise by doing these types of things, but given the situation at Manchester United and given the fact that as club captain, he's up there to be shot at, was this a wise decision for him to do? <sighs> I mean, just taking on the Roy Keane thing to begin with, I think Harry Maguire could have scored a hat-trick, hat helped an old lady cross the road and then uh, donated to some charity and uh, Roy Keane probably would have still found a reason to call it embarrassing. It's almost become a, a, a catchphrase for him. I think, you know, it, it has been a difficult uh, season for Harry. And, you know, he has to take a lot of weight on his shoulders. As you say, he is the captain. But United isn't a happy camp at the minute. The, it, I think it's unfair to put all of the, the worlds of United on on Maguire but I think that's what happens when you're the captain and you're in defence as well and uh, there's only so much that he can do even though and let's be fair he's not had a great season there's been quite a few situations where he's been at fault um, I did wonder when I saw this if he sort of misread the memo and uh, I know we were talking <laughs> about Harry, Harry Kane going into this and it was a good opportunity for him to sort of get you know get level get a few goals because when you're a striker nothing helps more than than getting a goal when you're a manager nothing helps more your situation than getting a win unless you're uh, Daniel Fark and um, 
you really for a defender what what you need is a great tackle and a clean sheet uh, but harry's been harry's been a great threat up front he's got a few goals for england in in in, in this vein and i i think I think maybe we're going at it the wrong way. You know, he's obviously been under a lot of pressure and it's not going to solve everything. And I don't think Harry in his wildest dreams will think that just one goal is going to solve all these problems. But what was interesting for me was not so much the the fingers in the ear. It's, it's the way everybody else came and celebrated with him. And they weren't putting their fingers in the ears either, but it's still very much that England camp is a happy place. It's, it's a good place to be and it's working out a great place for both Harrys. And... I think, you know, there's certain problems in football that we're not going to solve in one match. We're not going to solve in one month and probably not one year. And as a player, it takes a while to turn things around. And I think for Maguire, he's just making a statement there that he's not listening. But in that, in by doing that, he's showing that he is listening because he's felt the need to do that. So it's a bit of a misnomer as well. When you look at this situation, Isha, and obviously these things do get blown up, particularly with social media and, and someone like Roy Keane, who's always good for a soundbite. There's so much attention. Harry Maguire is Manchester United captain. He's a key player for England. Gareth Southgate is a big fan of him. He, he plays him in, in every big game. And generally speaking for England, he, he does tend to perform. But Keane's point and a lot of Manchester United fans' points have been this is Albania. You've scored a goal against Albania that you're expected to sweep past at Wembley, nice and easy three points and push on to the World Cup. Manchester United have not just lost some big games recently, they've been hammered in big games recently. Liverpool, Manchester City, it's not been a good month for United, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and for Maguire. I do understand what Ant's saying, that this idea that England can be a happy place for a lot of players to get away from some of the kind of negativity that surrounds their club situation. But without being too grumpy about it, should Maguire not just go into the England camp do his job, make sure England gets the World Cup, but really his primary focus should be on what's been a pretty disastrous start to the season with Manchester United. Exactly that, and I guess that's where the sort of uproar comes from. It's, I'm sure a lot of Man United fans are just thinking, can you just silently get on with it and prove to us on the pitch what you're capable of in terms of redeeming yourself? Because, you know, I personally think now that celebration, he's probably thinking it kind of backfired a little. There's so much attention. I'd imagine he regrets it because it sort of insinuates that he's been on the receiving end of unfair criticism. And I'm sure Maguire himself, he knows full well that, of course, it will take more than a goal against Albania to redeem himself after his recent form. Like you said, his defensive displays, they've really been under the spotlight, especially after some, I guess, quite humbling Old Trafford defeats against Liverpool and Man City. And the fans, like I said, they would rather he just quietly went about his way, keeping a few clean sheets here and there, winning a few games and just leading his club because that's the biggest criticism of late. And I think it was quite interesting, actually, to see... um, Micah Richards sort of supporting him on Twitter. Did you see that? So he tweeted that the celebration, well, I guess he implied that Maguire was passionate in his celebration, yet he's still being criticised. And I think that's quite interesting that he's shown support. Um, And of course, there's a lot of banter there between Keane and Micah Richards, so maybe that's got something to do with it. But it's kind of off the mark, right? Because it's, it's kind of not about the passion, it's more about, well, what does that goal celebration insinuate? Because this is rightful criticism. Yeah, of course, there are internet trolls who take it too far. But in terms of his defensive displays they've been well below par not good enough 
Looking at the other Harry in Southgate squad, Harry Kane, and this again, this idea Ant, of England being a place where players can maybe escape some of the situations that they're experiencing at club level. And Harry Kane's been a poster boy for that so far this season. Obviously, the summer was dominated surrounding his potential exit from Tottenham. Would he go to Manchester City? Would he stay? Obviously, in the end, he opted to stay. And you look at his goal record so far this season, and this idea of England being a bit of a haven has been born through. Three goals in the September window for England to keep the World Cup qualification on track. He's only got himself one goal in the Premier League so far this season against Newcastle. Sorry, Isha, but you know that's the numbers. He, he did score against Newcastle, um, and then a hat trick the other night against Albania. That brings him up to 39 international goals. Um, he's broken Wayne Rooney's competitive record, so he's now the highest ever competitive goal scorer for England. And he has been regular for England. He has been super consistent for England over the years. But again, we're seeing another example of someone that's having a bad season at club level but for England is doing it. Is that maybe just another string to Gareth Southgate's bow that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is coming in from massive criticism at Manchester United, so is Harry Maguire. Tottenham have just sacked Nuno Santo and brought in Antonio Conte. There's a lot of upheaval and turmoil going on at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, whereas Gareth Southgate can bring these players in and say, I still believe that you're at the top of your game. Now go out and do the business for me. Yeah, I think there's a lot there. And, and just you painting it in those colours really really emphasised it for me because exactly that you know there's so much pressure on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and so much scrutiny on United from all angles so much criticism flying in people weighing in heavily uh, same things happened at Spurs and they've taken drastic action early on in the season and that's been upheaval for, for a manager who wasn't really given time to bed in and you know it just seems like the, and I know I know you're a coach, Isha, but it just seems like if you're the option right now, irrespective of the of the level, to go and coach with that England squad as they are together, or with the Spurs squad, or with the United squad, you know, I think if you were choosing it based on, you know, enjoyment uh, and what you're going to get out of it, it seems like it's a happier place and it's more. <sighs> there's a lot more harmony, and I think that's really important. And. I, I understand, you know, Harry's had a lot of criticism as well, but if we take a step back, I mean, I was just adding it up in my head, and it might be slightly out there, but I think for all the criticism, Harry's scored maybe 13, maybe 16 goals with that other hat-trick tonight now um, since the season started. Yes, only uh, only the one in the Premier League. Remember, he missed a couple of games right at the start. Uh, he, he seemed to be playing all over the park when he was under Nuno, uh, but, you know, he's... It's shown, and to be honest, actually, you know, I think he could have got more on Friday night. You know, I think while it was that perfect hat trick, which we're talking about, the wonderful scissor kick, the the fact is, I don't think he's quite as sharp as he has been, but he did look happy and he did look content. And obviously, when you take that step back and you look at all the, I know he's been talking about his brother, the agent, and there was that wrestling match, if you will, with Daniel Levy at Spurs about his contract and where he thought he might go and the interest. And, uh, you know, obviously City fans were very excited at the prospect of him coming there uh, because it, it would be quite useful to have a striker. But... I think the disappointment as well that both him and Harry Maguire have gone through as uh, you know leading members of the dressing room with that final in the European Championships. I mean, I you know none of us here know what it's like to lose to come that close to to a really big trophy and, and to come away from it. And yes, we can sit here and go, well, the professionals they just get on with it, but it, I can imagine it does take a toll. And if if you're going from that disappointment to uh to a club that's in turmoil i can imagine that that has an effect but 
as I say, I think perhaps Southgate is offering a model of harmony. I know there's different pressures that he operates under the games out there as often. But I, I think that's a really interesting indication of, of of the impact that that can have on both Harrys. Looking at the situation, Isha, in terms of Harry Kane, he did an interview recently ahead of going into this international window talking about this poor form and this struggling to kind of hit the ground running in terms of goals for Tottenham so far this season. And he was quite frank about this and he said that losing the Euro 2020 final to Italy actually had more of an impact on his mental state, on his confidence, than not leaving or not getting that transfer away from Tottenham so far this summer. And, and that demonstrates arguably where his loyalties now lie. We know that England means a lot to Harry Kane. He's captain. He's pushing for the, the all-time record goal score. But is that a little window into his intention for Tottenham in the medium to long term that he does still want to leave? Obviously, Tottenham is important. He needs to be playing club football in order to maintain his place for England. But England means that much to him that that defeat, playing for England, scoring goals for England at the moment has probably jumped ahead in his list of priorities above being Tottenham's uh, leading striker. Yeah, it was actually quite um, insightful, I guess, that interview. I didn't really expect him to be as frank as he was with it. And I think, I mean, I guess the whole the whole um, saga that went on between, you know, City and Levy and um, Harry Kane's brother, it, w it was, I mean, I was stressed even following the updates. I can't even imagine how it felt for him. And then, you know, the fan base turned on him and then he released a statement to say he's there to stay. And all of that in the midst of a, um, a Euros come down, really. And like you said, I mean, I don't think we can even come close to comparing the emotional roller coaster that a player goes through getting so close to an international trophy but I do think with Harry Kane I know we're talking about obviously the two Harrys I just think with Harry Kane I think the key difference here is the fact that he has openly admitted you know to the Euros come down how it's played a huge part in his struggle to recapture his form at club level the failed Man City deal it doesn't help in the slightest he probably won't talk about that much but he obviously really wanted it to happen you know and I think that door is probably still open you know January's just around the corner and I think it would be unfair for us to even not meant to not mention his lack of service at Spurs because you know it's not all on him like oh he's not scoring goals at club level it's all on him no he actually has lacked quite a bit of service you could say that as well and you know one goal one league goal so far this season is quite telling I think now the main difference between the two is that one, Harry Kane has just, you know, like you said, got this wonderful hat-trick. The appointment of Antonio Conte is enormous. It can only be a positive thing for Harry Kane. I think in the past, Conte has just demonstrated the ability to recognise quality and he seems to work well to just get the best out of skilled players, even if they are going through dry spells. Like, look at the resurgence of Romelu Lukaku at Inter. And I think if anyone can get Kane back to his best at club level, it will be Conte. I really think that. And obviously that's if Kane isn't distracted by the thought of heading to City come January. Um, not sure what will happen there. Uh, looking at someone else in the squad, Jordan Henderson is an interesting case, Ants, because you look at the numbers and the, uh, the stats and the data behind the current England squad. Henderson is actually the most experienced player in Southgate's squad. Got his 68th cap against Albania on Friday night, got himself a goal, returned to the starting midfield. And 
his situation is kind of a, on the one hand a, an example of fantastic professionalism from Jordan Henderson that he remains available for England and whenever he's called upon generally turns in a solid performance but we saw at the England um, England midfield at Euro 2020 that his injury was a big talking point before the tournament started Calvin Phillips came in quote as his replacement alongside Declan Rice and despite Henderson getting back fit and playing a bit during the tournament and at the start of this season the back end of World Cup qualification Phillips and Rice are Southgate's go-to in midfield and Jordan Henderson despite being Liverpool captain massively experienced for England and within the Premier League now finds himself as a backup player what is Henderson's enduring role with England? Because we do think that he's going to continue. He's not going to throw his toys out of the pram. He doesn't seem to be that type of character. Does he still have a role to play with England? Absolutely. And I actually think, and I know we, we had a lot of almost mind games, if you will, with, um, was it Connor Cody? I think that uh, Southgate referred to as the, as the best player on the team or the most important during the world, the, the, the squad. And obviously there's going to be things that we don't get to see there. But in terms of his performance and his ability and his humility as well, then this this is something with Jordan Henderson, he's very much grown on me as a player. For some reason, I, did, I didn't like him, and not just because um, he was at Liverpool and, and what Liverpool was starting to achieve. But he's really taken on a kind of captain's role without the armband you know in terms of the way that you see him the way that he carries himself and I think the impact that he has on the team you know we still have a very young squad and his experience that he's got there I mean I was just thinking about it, you know if England go on and have a very successful World Cup you know he's going to potentially be one of the most decorated English players that we've had in terms of um, the the things and I'm getting really far ahead of myself here getting excited about it um, but again he's somebody that's really grown and developed and when we looked at the fact that Declan Rice had pulled out due to illness on the show on on, on Friday on Thursday we discussed like who might come in in his place and there was talk of possibly Jude Bellingham started but in, in terms of that partnership I, I know obviously he was he was moved out and dropped for the for the younger linchpin that we've got and you're absolutely right they're not just the go-to for Gareth Southgate. I think it's everybody expects that to be the lineup. But I think the fact that he can go in and he can play that and he doesn't seem to have... Um, I'm not saying he hasn't got an ego, but he doesn't have a problem with that. And he's he, he's very much a team player. He's a squad player. Um, I think as well, you know, he's not he's not necessarily the most exciting player. Um there's there's elements of almost James Milner I would compare him to in 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 that case, but I think in terms of being able to go on and, and carry out the instructions and keep things together and keep uh, the team level, I think Jordan Henderson is a really valuable player in that squad, and it's just nice to see him getting goals again. Since he'd gone gone so long playing for England without any, he's possibly turned up as you know we might end up seeing him uh, deputise if we have an issue with Harry Kane up front. <laughs> Uh, I just want to take a quick look across the rest of uh, the qualification issue because obviously we've looked at England's situation and, and barring an absolute meltdown against San Marino, England are home and hosed and Gareth Southgate and his squad are going to be heading to Qatar. So looking at the rest of the picture, Group A, Portugal and Serbia play later on tonight. That's going to be a scrap for top spot and playoff. Spain and Sweden are in an identical situation, almost a straight playoff between them to see who gets top and who gets second. 
Italy and Switzerland situation is pretty similar. They're going to be playing tomorrow night. France are through. They battered Kazakhstan 8-0. Kylian Mbappe getting himself four goals. Uh, it looks like it's going to be Finland-Ukraine battling out for the playoff spot there. In Wales's group, Belgium are top and through. Wales are still in with a shout of a playoff spot alongside the Czech Republic. And then scanning a little bit further down, Denmark are through. Scotland are in with a shout of a playoff. The Netherlands and Turkey in Group G looks to be an exciting one that's probably going to go right to the final game. Croatia look home and dry, but Russia could spoil that if they get a positive result in their last game. And then in Group J, North Macedonia, who we all kind of had a maybe a little bit of a soft spot for them being tournament debutants at Euro 2020, are pushing to get themselves a playoff spot, and Germany are through. So mostly the big hitters are through, and you'd expect there to be maybe one or two surprises to come in the next 48 hours. Who has caught your eye in terms of qualification? So much has been squeezed into such a short amount of time because Euro 2020 was delayed during the summer. So we seem like we're having a, a really quick turnover of international football. But who has, who has caught your eye in terms of performances uh, during qualification for Qatar? Well, I guess it's not a surprise. Of course, Kylian Mbappe, what a guy, what a player, without a doubt. And, you know, that 8-0 thrashing of Kazakhstan, it just said it all. What a player and what a team. Definitely France. And then I guess Belgium, to be fair, they've been pretty solid. They're still on their unbeaten qualifying run. And another player actually for Belgium, which you might be a bit surprised to hear me say, is um, Christian Benteke. So it was really interesting to see him get that rare chance to just lead the attack because of their injuries. You know, they were out, uh, yeah, they were without Lukaku. Um, and so Benteke, he started that game and it seems like he really relished the opportunity and it didn't take him long to open scoring. He tapped in from close range and then I read that he had more shots and more shots on target than any other player in that first half against Estonia. And I guess it's interesting because, you know, he's nowhere near a guaranteed starter under Patrick Vieira, you know, at Crystal Palace, but he scored 12 league goals since the beginning of last season. I think it's a really positive time for him. So I think that Belgium display was a pretty encouraging one. I'd like to see more from him um, for the Red Devils. There's probably another few surprises, as I say, Ant, to come in the next 48 hours as the last little few places get crossed off and the playoffs get sorted out and the, the four Nations League places get sorted as to who's going to go into the playoffs. But there's still a lot to be sorted out. What's surprised you so far? As um, Isha's pointed out, there's been someone like Kylian Mbappe that expect to be in fantastic form. But there's also been a Christian Benteke who's a bit of a forgotten character within the Premier League, but has still proven that when he's needed for Belgium can make a, a telling impact. Yeah, and uh, we might see another uh, Crystal Palace uh, player uh, popping up at the World Cup as well, as Conor Gallagher's been called up to the England squad I've seen today. Um, in terms of surprise, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm more slightly worried and anxious because uh, Germany have had a very successful qualifying period. I think they've got something ridiculous like 27 out of the possible 30 points um, in their qualifying group. And... Obviously, they've had a transition, a new manager coming in. They sort of seem to lost their way for the last couple of tournaments, but I got the feeling that they're back, and obviously there's a great class of players in there, and uh, Gundogan seems to be really sort of firing for them on all, all cylinders the same way that he was for City last season. Uh, they're getting the best out of Kai Havertz as well. He's even seems to be playing uh, Leroy Sane better than Bayern Munich are. So I, I think... The, the slightly concerning thing is I think they're going to do very well. The the surprise for me 
probably really is that Portugal haven't run away with their group. Uh, I think it was a brilliant, although some people say meaningless draw um, for the Republic of Ireland in, in Dublin last week, uh, but a great performance from them. Um, I think, you know, there's been so much expectation that, uh, you know, Portugal would, you know, with the players that they've got and, you know, you, you got Diaz and Silva and of course uh, CR7 there and, Hold on, you know, CR7 they're, they're, as in Cristiano Ronaldo or Callum Robinson? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the thing is that they're, 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 they're probably going to just sort of go through. They've still got that, that that game against Serbia, which is top of the table. But, you know, they're looking at possibly going through the playoff. And I, I wonder if they're suffering similar problems with a similar personality to what's been happening at Old Trafford, as controversial as that might sound. Yes, potentially. I mean, I couldn't possibly comment on who uh, you might be referring to. Right, guys, we're going to take a quick break from the international break. After the break, we're going to be getting back into Premier League action. Despite the fact that there's no games this weekend, there's still a big amount of news doing the rounds. Managerial changes, potential transfer speculation and some big, big claims from Liverpool's number one. We're going to be getting stuck into all of that in just a second. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Weekend Review Show. And just a quick reminder, if you're a new fan of the podcast or if you're a regular listener, if you click subscribe on this episode, you can get a brand new podcast every single day. Here at Football Social Daily, we are your only daily Premier League podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. Click subscribe and you can get access to the new episode as soon as as it is ready. Right, before the break, it was the international break. We're talking about England's chances of just ticking off that box and making sure they're at Qatar next summer. But there's still plenty going on for the next 48 hours as the places get sorted out. But now in part two, we're going to flip back across to the Premier League. Isha, I'm going to go to you first on this because managerial changes over the international break were expected. Norwich and Aston Villa sacked Daniel Fark and Dean Smith respectively. But at the start of the international break, nobody probably expect them to, them to just kind of swap, which is what looks like it's going to be happening in the next 24 hours. Dean Smith is odds-on favourite to take over at Carrow Road. Two-and-a-half-year contract is on the table for Smith. Seven, eight days ago, Dean Smith was Aston Villa manager. In that seven or eight days, he's been sacked after losing five Premier League games on the run. Steven Gerrard has come in. Norwich have sacked Daniel Fark after picking up his first Premier League win of the season. And now they're going to bring in Dean Smith. So it is it is a bit of a mess. It is a bit of a strange situation. But Dean Smith has established himself as a relatively solid manager for keeping teams in the Premier League, as he did with Aston Villa. Norwich, you look at the table. Yes, they got that one Premier League win, but they do look essentially doomed to be right in the middle of a relegation scrap. Can Dean Smith give them a prayer based on what he's done with Aston Villa in, in previous seasons? Well, like you said, Dean Smith, he's certainly got the experience in relegation battles. You know, when he was at Villa for, I guess he was there for just over three years, wasn't he? He guided them back to the Premier League from the Championship and he really kept them there for this being their third successive top flight campaign. Yes, I admit, on paper, Villa's squad were far greater than that of Norwich, but... I mean, I think Norwich have done all right to get him on board. Do I think it's too late? 
potentially for them, but that's coming from a Newcastle fan and we are right down there in, in the lower end of the league standings. But at the same time, you know, we've got a whole, we've got new ownership and all these exciting things happening. For Norwich, I mean, what, what can he really do? I, like I said, I do think it is a good deal for them. Um, the managerial sackings and appointments have been so constant this season. I've been overwhelmed, actually. I think it's actually, I, I read today, I think it's the, the most amount of um, league sackings, managerial sackings um, in 17 years. And I'm not surprised they've been here, there and everywhere. I think, yeah, like I said, Norwich have done a good job getting, well, I say getting, you know, it's not confirmed yet, but it looks like it is going ahead, getting uh, Dean Smith on board. And Villa potentially with Gerrard too. I think I think, you know, it's quite interesting. Frank Lampard seems to decline Norwich's offer, I believe. So, yeah, I, I don't think they'll be too... Um, I don't imagine the fans will be too um, unhappy with his appointment. Will he be able to keep them up? I'm not so sure. I think it might be too late for them, like you said. And looking at the situation with, with Dean Smith, and Anisha makes a good point, this idea of Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard was potentially if you believe the rumors if you believe some of the kind of strong reports Lampard was linked there was conversations had and he rejected or, or couldn't quite get a deal together where he would go to Norwich Dean Smith seems to be a bit more willing and a bit more eager to take up the job is that a sign of maybe where Frank Lampard views himself in terms of the next job that he wants or anticipates that he should get but Dean Smith who's got many more miles on the clock and years of experience under his belt knows the Premier League picture a lot better and knows that, yes, despite this kind of bizarre situation where he's only just left Villa, if an opportunity comes to join a Premier League club, you take it and then work and kind of roll with the punches as you as you arrive and, and, and start to work. Well, as my dad would say, there's no flies on him because uh, it's what we're talking a week. Um, and, and he's actually, I think the reason why they haven't announced it is he flew out to America to see his son playing and uh, so they're probably just waiting for him to come back um, uh, with flight delays and quarantine and all these things that are going on so possibly uh, that's the reason they haven't announced it yet um, in terms of Frank it might just be a simple case of him going you know he, he wants his next job to be a success and, and let's be fair to him although he, he didn't sort of really go out on a high at Chelsea he's, he's only got a little bit of coaching experience under his belt but he did take Derby to a championship final and he did take Chelsea to an FA Cup final. Now, let's accept that he lost both those finals. So that's not great, but he got them there. I actually thought Frank would be able to do a great job at Norwich as well. Because Norwich, I think, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain on this, have, if not the smallest, one of the smallest budgets in the uh, Premier League. You know, we've often seen when they've, they've managed to get a result against one of the big boys. You know, the whole squad is worth less than one of the players at the start of Man City often. And so I, I think considering what Frank did at Chelsea when he came in under a transfer ban and just had to work with the young players and bring people back from unknown. And we know that Norwich have got a great setup. That they have a great um, academy there, some great players coming through. I would have been very excited to see what Frank did there. However, I think Frank's looked at that and gone... Nah, you know, I think he's almost written them off straight away. And I think um, when he's stepped back and moved from it, I think possibly he's, he's interviewed, he's gone there, he's considered, he's looked at what he could do, he's probably put forward a very good plan of what he would do. But when he's gone away and thought about it, he's actually thought, this is going to be really difficult. And we, we chatted about this on Friday's show about, you know, which would be a bigger achievement for somebody like 
somebody to go in at Norwich or Newcastle and as, as Eddie's gone and keep them up or for somebody like Brighton to break into Champions League places and um, I think you know it's it's more pressure more damage to your reputation down at the bottom because if you just miss out if you're Graham Potter and you just get fifth place you know what a great season what a great run unexpected people are like oh um, whereas if you can take and even Burnley as well if you can get yourself out of those places and get, secure yourself the money the finances and the fresh start that you get when the table resets to, to zero points in August you know I, I think that's the hardest job and looking at where they are and I know Isha sorry you know you're, you're, you're the Newcastle fan here as well it's a really difficult task for both of you it is. I don't think that there's any real way of, of sugarcoating it. But Isho, I wanted to ask you from a, a coaching perspective in terms of dealing with players and, and motivating players. Norwich do find themselves in a difficult situation. The bottom of the Premier League table, yes, they did get that win before the international break, but they are in a really, really tough spot. Five points away from safety as it stands. And yes, there is a long way to go. But when you're dealing with a group of players, that their confidence is low despite that result. They, they know the situation in terms of Premier League survival. What is the kind of safer and more positive option in terms of generating a reaction from a player? Is it a Dean Smith who's been there, done that, not for years and years within the Premier League, but has an established reputation of doing okay, avoiding relegation, promoting players? We look at Jack Grealish, who's obviously moved on to Manchester City this summer, or Frank Lampard, who's had a relatively underwhelming Premier League managerial career but is a huge name as a former Premier League winner, as a player and a former England international. I think in this sort of situation, I guess it's not really about the name now, is it? It's about can we scrap to safety? Who makes the best of what he's got? And I do think Dean Smith does that. I think he's got the grit and the determination to do that. He's not afraid to get stuck in. He, I wouldn't say he has a wealth of experience, but like he said, he, he has established himself in English football and he knows what he's doing. And I think, yeah, that, that, it, that sort of figure is perhaps a bit more reassuring than, oh, we've got a big name. And it's kind of like, well, what can this big name practically do for us right now? Mathematically, let's look at numbers because it is November. This is the goal difference. And I mean... Yeah, easy for me to say, but I'd, I'd be more encouraged with a Dean Smith coming on board and getting stuck in. And I do think he's got great man management skills as well. Uh, not to say Frank Lampard hasn't, but it's just something that comes with experience. Uh, he's been there, even the emotions involved in, you know, how Villa, how he kept him up. It's not easy. You know, the championship, we all know how difficult it is in the championship. He promoted them. He kept them up in the top flight. So, um, you know, every team is different, but he's already been through that process mentally for many, many years. And um, I do think he's the man for the job. I think if, if Norwich had... I, I'm not saying they have poor, poor quality players. I'm just saying if the squad depth was a bit better or if they had, you know, the odd star player, I would have a bit more hope for them. But just given on paper the team list, I, I'm not sure if they have enough. I'm not sure he can, he's capable of keeping them up, no matter how much experience he does have, despite that. 
uh, from the bottom of the Premier League table to the top of the Premier League table and probably lo loftier ambitions beyond that. And I'm going to talk to you about Liverpool and Alisson. He's done an interview during the international break saying that essentially the sky is the limit for Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool this season and winning the Premier League uh, winning the Premier League title or at least pushing for the Premier League title is not nearly enough. They should be pushing to win every single competition that they're in. And this is not just your kind of piecemeal copy and paste. We want to win every game, blah, blah, blah. He's gone whole hog in this interview saying that all four competitions that Liverpool are in, Premier League, Champions League, FA Cup and Carabao Cup, they should be pushing to win and they should be pushing for a quadruple in 2022. Now, looking at the record in terms of Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp obviously broke that long, long record of them never winning the Premier League in 2020. But Klopp has not won more than one major trophy in the same season during his time at Liverpool. And you've got to go all the way back to 2001 for Gerard Houllier when Liverpool won a, a kind of treble, not the treble, but a kind of treble. Alisson obviously is ambitious. He's a Brazilian international. He's a massive player for Liverpool. He's not the best of weeks. Difficult uh, game before the international break against West Ham. He is confident and he sees that Liverpool are pushing in the right direction. But on the last few podcasts, particularly on the weekend, we've been talking about are Liverpool maybe trying to overstretch, overreach? Are they going punch for punch too much? Because talented team as they are and fantastic collective that Jurgen Klopp has generated, they don't look as tight as they did when they won the title back in 2020. Oh, well, I, I agree with Alison wholeheartedly. And I think that's a really reassuring thing for a Liverpool fan listening to this because I think that's a sign of somebody that wants to stay at the club and, 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 and be there for a while. And when you, just looking at the detail there, we picked up on this a couple of months ago when we were talking about uh, Liverpool and they've been so focused on the Premier League and obviously that was great in the Champions League as well, which, you know, is something that uh, my team still haven't achieved. You know, no, no mean feat for each of those. But when you look across the other competitions, they've not won the FA Cup for 15 years. Now, Forgive me, Isha, because I know it's been a little while uh, for, for your boys since they they won something. But in terms of where they are and what they want to bring them forward to, ten years since they won the EFL Cup. Uh, I mean, the, 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 technically, the last time they won the Charity Shield, they shared it anyway. So it, it's a long time since they did that, and so you can't now say that they don't have the squad to do that. Um, they've built a, a real team there. Um, I, I I love Klopp as a as a as a manager. And as a person, and in terms of the stuff that he talks about outside of football, um, I love the style of football that he has. I love the energy that he brings in there. Um, the, but I, and I'm not saying this at any point that they've gone. We're just going to focus on this, and we're not going to care about the others. But if you want to build a kind of is, is like dynasty, possibly what we're talking about, which Liverpool had, if you go back before the Premier League. You know, consecutive years of you know trophies and Champions League, well, the European Cups, and I think when you're looking and you're building, the the, the problem is, is that there's a lot of competition. It's not that you, like you can just turn up and do it, but it has to have that ambition to go there. And I think uh, they've not had that clear ambition. It's been let's com be competitive. You know, we they've just got the one Premier League title uh, bear in mind they missed out another by a point as well so they've done you know they're, they're still there they're competing for that and I think that, that there are a lot of people's favourites to go on and do that again um, this season especially with the form that Mo Salah's in but 
can they go back and win a second Champions League? Can they go and win an FA Cup for the first time in, in a long time? Th- th- these kinds of things are when you're looking for dominance and, you know, fans love to have that dominance. And I think for the players' point of view, that's going to keep them happy and, and keep them there as well. Um, just one final story that I want to touch on before we wrap up on tonight's show, Isha, and that's uh, former Tottenham manager Maurizio Pochettino. In an interview with The Telegraph over this weekend, he's essentially said that he would be open to a Premier League return in future. He's been fairly tight-lipped over when exactly that would be or who he's got his eye on taking over. He's also hinted that he's not particularly happy with the PSG ownership structure and the amount of influence that he has over transfers. Now, there's been so many links with Pochettino and Manchester United over the last few years. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is under perpetual pressure at Manchester United in terms of his position as, as manager. Now, Pochettino saying this as, as you know, dragged him up the list a little bit to maybe challenge to be one of the uh, names in the frame to replace Solskjaer. And some of this really interesting that I've just kind of spotted in some of the notes that we're collecting for the podcast with Pochettino. It's always held up this idea that he never won a major trophy with Tottenham. Solskjaer never, has not so far won a major trophy with Manchester United. But Mauricio Pochettino has got the best win percentage of any Tottenham manager since World War II. He is a very, very good Premier League manager. If he does come back to the Premier League, is he worthy of a job better than what Tottenham were offering him? Exactly that. I think his work at Spurs was commendable and I think it's pretty evident in their results since his departure. That really does say it all. Yes, there's no silverware to show for it, but I really rated what he was able to create there. And I think Man United, they would they would, and they should welcome him with open arms. I feel like Man United have long admired Pochettino and I feel like he's destined for that Man United job. You know, first it was after Mourinho, he was sacked, but then, you know, it wasn't meant to be because Oli excelled as a caretaker. Now it seems to be the end of the road for him. I guess with Pochettino at PSG, it took him just, what was it, 11 days to win a trophy with them. And he's he's certainly, he's winning games. But then of course, you know, his relationship with the PSG owners has come into question. I think the fact that he tried to leave Paris to return to uh, Tottenham this summer, it says it all. And it's a clear indication that he's just not happy. But would that move be worth it for PSG, you know, to lose their manager mid-season? I'm not so, so sure it'd be that easy. But if we're just, you know, if we're just going off the hints that he's unhappy with management and the fact that he's definitely got a lot more to achieve in English football, I feel, then it makes sense for him to come back. And timing-wise, yes, Man United are probably rubbing their hands together. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I think obviously 2017, we had hashtag Pog back. I think in 2022, we could have Poch back when it comes to <laughs> Manchester United. And um, as a kind of gentleman's agreement on the podcast, I'm not going to ask you about anything to do with Manchester United, Ant, because we've had a lot of very sad Manchester United fans on the podcast in the last few weeks. Um, they're all quite worried about what you might say and that you might be picking on them. So I'm not going to ask you about Pochettino because we all know, we all know, I, I, I would, we all know I that wouldn't you're just going to gloat about how well uh, things are going at Manchester City. So with that in mind, we are going to call it a day on the Weekend Review Show. Ant, Isha, as always, thanks so much for your time. 
Thanks for having me on. Wonderful stuff, guys. Thank you so much. And as ever, Jim, Niall, myself, Ant, Marley and everyone else will be back tomorrow for the build-up to another big week of Premier League action. 2022 World Cup qualification is still ticking on until midweek, but the business of the Premier League is back next weekend. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And as always, you can get a brand new podcast every single day. Thanks very much. And we'll see you again very, very soon. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.